This episode of The Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to The Ready Room, show number 152. It's handy to have a hologram. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Alice Baker. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news and topics, including the 10 best Klingons, a recap of Star Trek Las Vegas cosplay, and Brandon Braga's thoughts on Seven of Nine. Then in the feature, we're joined by Megan Calcote, Miles McLaughlin, and Charlene Schmidt to discuss the Voyager episode, The Thaw. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Alice. Welcome back to the ready room. I'm glad you have overcome the rapture. From last time you were here, and this time you're going to do news with me. So welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited. Not only are you here today, but your co-host from Educating Geeks, Megan, is joining us for the feature. So we are really having an invasion of Educated Geeks this week. So before we... We have a number of stories. Star Trek Las Vegas happened. And of course, by the time this show drops, it will have passed a bit. So we're going to try not to cover too much... Star Trek Las Vegas news, even though that's what's happening while we're recording this right now. But we do have a few stories that should be interesting to discuss. Before we jump into that, though, I want to remind everyone about our reviews promotion, which has been extended a little bit past the original deadline. But this is the final week. This weekend, Sunday, August 17th, midnight Pacific time is the deadline for getting your name in the drawing for some great Star Trek prizes, which do include Blu-rays. All you need to do is to review our shows on iTunes and Stitcher and then go to trek.fm slash review and submit the form there. And I'll give you all the details at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. Before we get to all of this stuff, Alice, we have to talk about Brandon Braga and Seven of Nine. Right. Before we get into the story, let me ask you, do you remember when Voyager was on the air and hearing when they started dating, not Seven of Nine, but Jerry Ryan and Brendan Braga and hearing all that news on the radio? Very vaguely. I mean, you know, I was a, I don't know that I was that immersed yet to like really be paying attention to to all of the news, but I was watching the show. And so I knew that this new character was going to be introduced and that there was a you know, stuff going on. Uh, But I don't remember the relationship being talked about so much until after. Okay. Do you remember, you just said you weren't that immersed. So did you have any personal feelings about the introduction of Seven of Nine to Voyager? Like, it's a good move. It's a bad move. I want to keep Kess. They're just trying to put a sex symbol on the show. Did you have any thoughts about it? I, I, I mean, it's not, to me it wasn't so much that she was going to be just there as a as a sex symbol for me Mm -hmm. um because there are other examples and i don't know a lot of people 
And I know he specifically has sort of harkened back to the original series and Kirk being a quote-unquote sex addict and whatnot. Um, But for me, having her in a skin-tight suit um, wasn't that outrageous for even, you know, Voyager through Next Gen. I mean, right, Troy was a galactic cheerleader when they started, you know, (laughs) so it's not like there are aren't other examples of women being in more provocative outfits. Right. So I I didn't, at the time, in the moment, I wasn't really concerned about that. I was just more interested to see what they were going to do with the character and what kind of role she was going to have on the show and, you know, what kind of interactions were going to happen. I also didn't think it was floundering because I know that was the other thing. People really felt like they needed to do something. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like, that was the point at which the media was really getting into that. Like every TV show is floundering. I, I feel like that's how it is today with anything. And it's how it was with Enterprise as well. And it's how it was with Voyager as it went on. You know, the ratings were sliding a bit, right. but people's TV viewing habits were changing a lot as well. As well, yeah. And yeah, I agree with you too. I, I don't think that Voyager was in any way floundering or in trouble and needed to, to to make some great shift like this. Now, I do think they were having trouble writing Kiss and they didn't know what to do uh. with her and they needed they wanted a new character and they couldn't keep everyone budget wise and uh, actually I'm not, I don't know if you know this but uh, the word is originally they were going to get rid of Harry. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Yeah. and Interesting. They, the choice was made instead to get rid of Kiss, and they brought on Jerry Ryan to play Seven of Nine. And my personal feeling at the time was because I remember the magazine covers and and the silver cat suit and all, and I felt like right maybe they are just trying to like sex up the show a little bit to go for a younger male demographic because you know Star Trek fandom is aging a little bit. And of course, my my view of the character changed drastically over the course of the series because of the way they wrote her and because of Jerry right. Ryan's portrayal and all. Well, this is what Brandon Braga said at one of the panels at Star Trek Las Vegas. He talked about a lot of things. I just pulled out the uh, Seven of Nine bit here since this is a Voyager Ready Room this week. Right. And I wanted to know what you think about it. He said, I personally felt Seven of Nine was an amazing character. I thought it really invigorated the show. It was controversial. I am sure there are people here who don't like the character and others who like the character. To me, Janeway was always missing her Spock or her data. To me, Seven of Nine was that Star Trekky character. The Doctor came close. I liked the Doctor character, but Seven of Nine to me was like the wild child. I was inspired by that Truffaut movie about trying to tame someone who was raised by wolves, or in this case, someone raised by Borg. Boy, these are some heady people. We've got Fellini and we've got Truffaut. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> whoa. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point about the other, right? So for the original series, we've got Spock, who's not completely alien, but he's kind of the only alien representation on the show. Mm-hmm. So you can go the cold logic place, right? So he's the cold logic but he's also alien. So then you've got next gen, you've got data. Cause by then there are aliens on the bridge and, you know, mm-hmm. Starfleet has accepted aliens into the fold. So again, data's the cold logic, but then he's also the other, right? He's not human. Mm-hmm. And so I do get that from for Voyager and Janeway having that 
character on the show who is the other. And I get what he's saying uh, about the doctor, who for me represents sort of the cold logic, except that doesn't really work because he's so damn snarky. (laughs) Yeah, Um, and he's programmed with the knowledge of all the past doctors, which would come from many, many different races, including human. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I can see where he's coming from there. And I think having her be from the Borg from a writing standpoint is really interesting, you know, because you're, again, one of the things that I think science fiction is so interesting for, it gives you a foil for understanding human nature, mm-hmm. right? And human nature, although we make societies and are communal, uh, we're very much about the individual, whereas the Borg is is very much about the collective. And so I, I think bringing her on the show and giving that as a writing tool was really smart. I mean, and I think it led to a lot of um, interesting territory that they wouldn't have been able to cover so well uh, if they hadn't have brought her as a character on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and that's why I came to like the character and I see what Brandon is saying here, and I also agree that the Doctor was sort of like the Spock data character on yeah. the show, but not exactly. And Janeway had no one to play off of, like like what he's saying here, Kirk and Spock, that that dynamic isn't there for Janeway because it can't be Chakotay because they clearly they weren't going to let that sort of back and forth happened between Janeway and Chakotay, I think because they were sensitive to the idea that it would be undermining Janeway's authority as the female captain. That's just the feeling that I've always gotten as to why, because um, I think Chakotay could have been that character. And I think Robert Beltran could have played that well, but it just wasn't written. It just wasn't there in the show. And so when seven of nine came on, she really was that person for Janeway. And I think that it helped Janeway's character as well that she had someone like that uh, to play against. So do you think it's important that it was a female? So if 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 Chakotay was going to be the Rykirk of Voyager, mm-hmm. is it because it, that character was written as a male character that his maleness would have been what was undermining Janeway's authority as a female ca- captain? And so bringing on Seven and Nine as a, another female, it's not as threatening to her authority? Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know if... I haven't put it in those exact words before, and I don't think, I think there's a difference between what I feel is true in the question that you're asking versus what the writers and the television producers felt was true. Sure. Like, I don't think that there would have actually been a problem with Chakotay being that character. I, it doesn't have to undermine Janeway's authority as a captain, but I feel like the studio and the writers were sensitive that the audience would take it that way because at the time, it was a new idea that we're going to yeah. have a female lead captain every single week. And so maybe in that sense, it did need to be a female character because if they put another male character in, you've kind of got the same problem. It's a little bit different because the person isn't the second in command, not the first officer, but still... The problem right. might be there. But I think what Janeway likes to be the mother to the crew a lot of the time. And I think that where Seven of Nine works well in the sense is that she becomes sort of a project for Janeway to help her find her humanity again. So the way that you help you help a child learn about the world and find themselves, she's sort of helping Seven in that same way. 
And uh, in that sense, it doesn't have to be male or female, but I think that it just worked and sort of the dynamic between Jerry Ryan and Kate Mulgrew seems to come off well that way is on screen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It definitely seemed genuine indeed. Now, in terms of her outfit, on the other hand, I, you know, yeah. I, it's I not guess... like it was standard Borg issue, let's be honest. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, we've we've never been to that cube, Alice. Oh, okay. Split hairs with me, Chris. Split hairs with me. We we always see the black cubes that glow green. We've never seen the silver cubes that glow pink. So, no. Brandon went on and he said, I always saw Seven as a tragic character, and it was my strong feeling, and I said this before, that she should have sacrificed herself in the final episode of Voyager. To me, the final episode was missing a tragic component. The only episode of season seven that I wrote was called Human Error. It isn't a very memorable episode to many, but it was to me. It is the one where Seven of Nine was experimenting with emotions on the holodeck, and she is using Chakotay as a foil, but she realizes there is a piece of technology inside her that if she begins to feel emotions it will kill her and it was incurable to me that was setting up her realizing that she did not ever want to go back to the Borg and yet she could never fully be human and therefore she had nowhere to go and no one to be with and I thought she should have somehow sacrificed herself to get the closest thing she had to a family home I think it would have been amazing but I was shot down I was not running the show at the time it was Ken Biller and Rick Berman. And I think that's fascinating, the idea that Seven should have died at the end of the show. I I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I think that the episode that he's talking about, Human Error, again, I think that's a very interesting human, you know, the need to belong and to find your tribe and mm-hmm. to have your, your close friends or your family or whatever you're going to call it. Um and an issue that certainly, you know, if you're uh, mixed race or you're anything that that's not clearly in one direction or the other, but it's mm-hmm. very mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something that's talked about a lot that, you know, who is your tribe then? You know, how do mm-hmm. you find your people, as it right. were? And I think that is a very interesting exploration. Um, mm-hmm. that, although Seven of Nine is not the only character on Star Trek that's had to face that that oh, issue sure. yeah. you know but i find self-sacrifice i mean again that's a great fiction story that's a great that th- those are always great moments yeah uh, i love it when a character sacrifices themselves for their for their tribe and i i in that sense um i think it could have been beautiful uh, but i don't hate the ending of voyager i mean i don't think it was bad yeah. or anything you know i find it fascinating just in that him writing the stories that he had that thought the idea that maybe she should die at the end because i feel like uh, voyager and star trek in general they tend to play it too safe sure and yeah again you know i mean these these shows were written at a time where you typically didn't kill off main characters on shows right. but uh, if it's done in a meaningful way then i think it has a lot of of gravity for the viewer and absolutely so it's an interesting idea there and nevertheless so well we'll put a link to this in the show notes there's an article over on trekmovie.com that has this part plus the other things that brandon was talking about in the panel so you can go over and check that out as well 
Let's go into the next thing here. Uh, this also happened at Star Trek Las Vegas, but it's a general discussion. So I thought that uh, timing wise, it's still good to talk about. Jordan Hoffman writes a column on Star Trek.com called One Trek Mind. And they did One Trek Mind live at Star Trek Las Vegas. And they tried to pick the best Klingon, the 10 <laughs> best Klingons. And there is an image here of who they picked. And Alice, I thought it would be interesting just to talk to each other about the results and right. what we think about uh, who came in first, who's on the 10 list, and who's missing. Well, I got no argument with number one. I'm just saying. No argument for me. Do you? See, I kind of, I mix between one and two. because really? Number two. So number one is Worf. Right. Number Sorry, two is Martok. Yeah. I think Martok is the quintessential Klingon. I just think that... Because Worf, Worf's story is the journey to find himself as a Klingon. True. And he really isn't a Klingon for for really most of the series. He sort of he comes into his own as a Klingon in the final arc of Deep Space Nine. And and the reason that he finds himself is the influence of Jadzia and Martok. And especially Martok. And I think that Martok is almost a father figure for Worf. Of course, he does become a member of the House of Martok. And that's where Worf finally realizes what it really means to be a Klingon, not this idealized view of what Klingons are that he's carried with him all the time that we've known him. But I can easily understand why he made it to number one. Oh, absolutely. Because he is the most recognizable. You know, but again, I think from a a story perspective, it's it's interesting to go on that journey with him because I think all of us also have idealized concepts of what it means to be a Klingon. So to Mm -hmm. be on that path with him and to end up with him where he ends up, Mm -hmm. I think is a is a a great experience. And Mm -hmm. um, it's a great story. Yeah. And definitely if fans are voting, I would have been shocked if anyone other than Worf finished it first. It ended up because, there, yeah. <laughs> I mean, characters on television that we have lived with for the longest. There's Worf, there's Fraser Crane. <laughs> there aren't very right. many, you know. Uh, <laughs> right, I mean, right. Michael Dorn Worf's is in around. rarefied air. Yeah. Right, yep. So, totally. <laughs> so Worf Martok, number three, Core from Aaron to Mercy. Right. I, that seemed random to me. I mean, it's not like he's, he's kind of, is he the first one? Yeah. Is he the first one? This is where we, we, we first see, see them. Klingons yeah. on the screen. So I, I get it from that standpoint, but it's yeah. not like he has a, a long life in the series. Like, I don't remember seeing him that much. Well, no. That, well, see, that's the thing. We have Kor, we have Koloth, who did not make the list from The Trouble right. with Tribbles, and we have Kang, who did make the list at number six. They are the three Klingons from the original series. series. Now, we do see them all together once again on DS9 and Blood Oath when they're all old. Right, and, right, and they, which is they, fun. They go to take out the albino who I still haven't figured out what the albino is <laughs> in terms of, you know, is he an albino Klingon? He's or not. some mix or, yeah. right, right. He's not, but he kind of looks like it a little bit. Yeah, they never exactly. really say what he yeah. is. But but yeah, we don't, we don't see... In the original series, we get these one-offs, right? But they become famous, so which is why but, I'm surprised that he's the one that's and in number three again. Like I'm yeah. surprised. Well, I, he's just one of the most memorable because it's Aaron of Mercy. So yeah. Now number four, Galron. How do you feel about Galron? I 
like Gowron. I've always liked him as a character, and and I I wasn't all that surprised, but that's maybe because I would have voted for him. <laughs> so I wasn't that surprised to see him at the top. But you know what I, we call him on the orb, right? We call no, him the crazy Uncle Gowron <laughs> because we're doing. We're doing the final chapter, the final arc of DS9 right now. And that's where Galron comes in. And he really is your crazy uncle Galron. Right. Now, who's the kid? When they're, when it's next gen, uh, uh, the kid who he's fighting for power. It's the episode where. Oh, Duras. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Galron and there's um, Worf and there's a battle for the, the seat yeah, um, the ascension, the who's going to be chancellor, yeah. Yes, who's going to be chancellor, and there's the kid with the Duras sisters, and I, you know, the Duras sisters are, you know, woefully missing from this list, but I I love that kid. He's like such a such a whiny little brat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're, you're really upset. You know, we were talking on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. That you're very upset that the Duras sisters aren't on this list. That's right. Yes. Uh, I mean, if, if, if uh, I would rather have the Duras sisters there than Kalar. I mean, come on. Do you think they should be separate, like six and seven, or should they be together <laughs> in the same frame? I think they should be together in the same frame. Because they're always together. They're right? always together. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They are not there. Um, yeah. Kalar is number seven, which I found kind of odd because we're talking about the 10 best Klingons that are being right. voted. Uh, I, I guess it goes to, and this is always a problem when you're doing polls or rankings like this. What is the real question? The 10 favorite Klingons of fans or the 10 best Klingons, best representations of Klingons? Yes. Because now if it's fan favorites, I get it because it's it's Susie Plaxon and that's why Salar is one of the favorite Vulcans, even though you rarely ever see her. Right. <laughs> you know, so I get that. Um, but she's not in there all that much. Yeah, I, and I think even even intent, like if you could really say, now really think about who you think is going to be best, you know, representing Klingon, I think people dissolve to, oh, I really like her, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so number five, we kind of jumped ahead in the list. Number we five did. is Balana. Which which I get. So again, I, I like her as a character. I always have. Um, I like her story arc as well. But again, in ultimate representation representation of Klingonness, you know, falls a little flat there, kind of for me. Yeah, well, she is How half Klingon, so right, exactly. There are a lot of halves here, or people yeah. not raised by Klingons, right? And she's <laughs> so. trying to. She's her. The basis of her character is that she was ashamed of her Klingon side, and so she right. tries to distance that. herself from it. So, so that works. Yeah, I can see Balana being on there uh, at number five. Um, I guess I'm kind of surprised she's not maybe above Galron anyway, but um, I don't know. I I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's so hard. <laughs> she she just gets so much screen time, and you know, Worf's number That's one true. because you know he's the Klingon we know best. Now, number yeah. eight, I love number eight, Chang from the Undiscovered Chang Country, yes. Christopher Plummer. He now he doesn't. In terms of his appearance, he's a very unusual Klingon. But of course, there's the story behind that that the actors were like, "Okay, I'll do this role, but I'm, I'm, you're not going to cover my face completely like that." So they, they really did subdued Klingon makeup in that movie. But his performance, I mean, wow, he yeah, is talk a about Klingon. Klingon. Yeah, 
in that eye patch. I mean, the eye patch I look right, awesome. so he doesn't want to be have his face covered with all Klingon stuff. But he'll wear an eye patch, you know, whatever. <laughs> but it's an awesome eye patch. And it's it is even an got awesome the eye patch. <laughs> it's got the Klingon emblem yes. in the leather, and it's bolted on his face. <laughs> face, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's Klingon, man. When you get an eye patch bolted to your face. That's right. Yeah. So I love Chang. I, I would put him higher personally. And number nine, also from the undiscovered country, Gorkhan. Right. I, I, I don't know. He's he was very un Klingon like. In fact, I mean, he's modeled after Gorbachev, and just like Gorbachev at the time, was very atypical, right? Of, as the Supreme Soviet, that um, I don't know that I don't know that Gorkhan really embodies. What did you call it? Um, exemplary Klingonness. What What did you call that earlier? <laughs> I don't know if I said you made up a word that we can't even remember anymore. But. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, well, and and maybe we're being too um, uh, judgy here. Maybe we're we're being we're stereotyping the poor Klingons. You know, maybe they have a are. right to have some variety in their culture. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's, that's right. how we're we're not being. That's, being, uh, that's why we're not invited to the after show party with the Klingons, where they're going to have the blood wine. So. That's right. Uh, number 10, Kalis. Well, I mean, Kalis has to be on the list, and he's, he's the Klingon, right? Right. I, yeah. Although the Fair. question is is this Kalis himself or is this the clone? Because. I think this is the clone, in which case he's not quite the same as the original. It's the original. How can yeah. you tell that? Well, it's just from the episode, you know, because Kalis died a long time ago, but the clone's actually there, so. True, true, true. <laughs> All right, so that's the list from One Trek Mind Live. Again, one through ten, number one, Worf, number two, Martok, number three, Kor, number four, Gowron, number five, Belana, number six, Kang, number seven, Kalar, number eight, Chang, number nine, Gorkhan, and number ten, Kalis. I would be curious so. to hear who other people think are missing from this list. Yeah, let us know. Tell us who your favorite Klingon is. You can tell us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM, and our contact form, trek.fm slash contact, is a great way to let us know who is your supreme example of exemplary Klingonness. Did I do that right? <laughs> Perfect. That was All wonderful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last thing to talk about here today, Alice, in the news segment. You you guys, you ladies, on Educating Geeks, you like to do cosplay. I remember when Phoenix Comic Con was going yeah. on about a month or so ago. And on your show, you guys, you did it really well too, by the way. I love your rundown of what your activities were going to be at the con. It was so ah. well prepared and it was so... That was Megan. Like, I knew exactly <laughs> what was going to be going on, but... I was counting as I was listening how many cosplay. costume yeah. changes you guys had <laughs> lined up and how it was actually even possible to change clothes that many times. <laughs> and so I thought it would be fun with you to go through and look at some of the photos from Star Trek Las Vegas and just get your thoughts on the cosplay. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I Star Trek cosplayers are amazing and there's always it's such a it's such a huge fandom and such a well-loved fandom that it, it kind of doesn't matter what convention you go to. You're always going to get to see some Star Trek cosplay. Um, and I think the pictures that you picked out for us to look at 
uh, I mean, there's some amazing examples in here. The very first one, I, I'm a big fan of, um, I don't know what the right term would be, but uh, gender bending cosplay or cross-dressing cosplay. Mm-hmm. And so in this first image that you have, and I'm assuming, I mean, you're assuming it's the same, right? It's a, it's a, it's a cross-dressing seven of nine or a gender bend seven of nine, right? It seems like it. Yeah. It's a gentleman who, who's got a silver lame outfit on, uh, and he's got the, um, what would you call it? What, what accoutrement? The implants? The implants. Seven of nine hands. Yeah. I mean, they look as if they're in the same spot. Yeah, I think so you, assuming... you've been watching the French version of Voyager, apparently. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's great. And those Borgs are awesome. There are two Borgs. And what's the character in the background there from the original series who does the big fight with Kirk? Oh, the Gorn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, those are all really amazing. I, I think he's photobombing, actually, though. I, he's not right. actually... He's not in this picture. The picture is data from Final Contact with partial <laughs> flesh on his face. Yeah, the yeah. Borg Queen, another Borg, the the uh, who looks like cross- he's almost copying a feel. Right. Oh, he does. Right. And then in the background, <laughs> there is this Gorn photobombing. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> which it which is, is great. awesome. So, and I love that Seven of Nine does have a full beard and mustache. Yes. Photo, so. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it's so, amazing. Um, the next one we have from the TNG episode, Cupid. Yeah, these guys are looking pretty awesome, too. My favorite is the Geordie. <laughs> yes. I the Jester Geordie, I think, is my favorite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who looks really bored. Frankly, <laughs> he does. Yeah. He looks really well, he, he already he already smashed the ukulele or <laughs> what is that man mandolin? What is he playing? Mandolin. I think it was a, a mandolin. mandolin right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or lute. Probably in that case, it was it's a, a lute. lute yeah. He's already smashed lute. the lute. So <laughs> what's he gonna do now? Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, have his photo they taken. look pretty awesome too. Well, and she almost almost looks like she's wearing a bunny ear. I can't quite tell if that's something in the background. I think it might be something in the background. I think that's something in the background, yes. <laughs> you think it's Jordy with bunny ears on <laughs> <laughs> Well, there, that's pretty good. And we have yeah. the short lady in the front being Troy, who's dressed as Troy in her archer outfit. Very good. I love it. Well, then I we've got just, Apollo from Who Who Mourns for Adonais. And again with the gold lame. Boy, they loved lame on the original series there's lame practice on every episode practically <laughs> well he looks like he's really enjoying walking around the rio in that outfit he does really big smile on his face right now. you know and i i think he probably he could just be walking around las vegas and nobody would bat an eye like they might not even think he, they might not realize that they might just think he's stopping by from caesar's palace you well, know I, I, no i think you're right actually i don't think this is cosplay i think this couple was just wandering through, and and whoever took these photos thought they were doing Star Trek cosplay and took their picture. <laughs> oh man, yeah, love it, love so, it. And then um, we've got two um, Wrath of Khan, right? Yeah, it's in the yeah, middle. Yeah, the great the jackets with the big white collars. Yeah, the big white collars. Nice. And then I love that Spock. Actually, I think he's a very good Spock. He's a good Spock. Yeah, he's, he's a wearing good the Spock. the Wrath of Khan jacket, and he's got the. Uh, Got it popped open, especially the way yeah. Kirk likes. His to wear ears it are like amazing, and he's like so serious. That's right. He's got a great Spock face. And then we've got these red shirts who have survived 
Yeah, survived. They've survived. They're not in good shape. Uh, they've just got barely, blood and but they have survived. Scratches <laughs> all over their faces. Their uniforms are ripped pieces, but they are alive. They are alive. <laughs> Very that's ingenious. A, that's a nice one. Um, and then, then we've got an Andorian. An Andorian. I always like to see Andorians as well. Yes. I didn't recognize the next guy. Chris, educate me. Who is that? What is that? I think it's supposed to be. It's yeah. I, it's hard to tell. It's either supposed to be a Nausicaan or it's one of the creatures. It may be the creature that Kirk kicks in the kneecap gonads in the undiscovered country. Oh, where Martia tells uh, says that not all species keep their genitals oh. in the same location. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. It might it be him. Be. It's kind of hard to tell. So. It is hard to tell. But I mean, amazing, right? I mean, if, 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 I mean, that's the thing I, I find amazing about cosplay and anybody who gives cosplayers a hard time, I don't get it. It's such a craft. I mean, these, mm -hmm. these people make these amazing looking outfits and uh, I mean, that looks, you know, the guy could have been on, you know, sci-fi's face off I mean, it's mm -hmm. an amazing piece of work. You know, I, yeah, I, I'm just always impressed. People go all out for these things and, and put so much time and effort into it. Now, I, I mentioned the jackets, the Wrath of Khan jackets with the white collars. It's kind of hard to tell in this small photo here, uh, which we'll put a link, by the way, in the show notes to these photos. They're on StarTrek.com and you can click through this article and you can see what we're talking about as we're uh, talking about them here. It's hard to tell if these are homemade or not. Sure. But I think that they, they very well may be. And if so, I mean, that's that's some serious work that people put into this stuff. Absolutely. And I mean, all the other ones, you, you know, the, the Borgs with the cross-dressing Seven of Nine, the ones from mm -hmm. Cupid, the uh, Who Mourns for Adnaeus, as I remember you pronounced it. Um, and I, I could be those wrong. Those all look very much, yeah. <laughs> very much look uh, homemade. Yeah, yeah, they do. So... And also in this article, now this is not technically cosplay because she wore this on the show, I but know. Terry Farrell wore her wedding dress from yes. You Are Cordially Invited. That, oh. That's really cool to see. And what I loved about looking through those pictures, Chris, is, and you, you don't know, I mean, I hate, I hate it when you go to conventions and, and you, you meet the stars and they just seem like they're not having a good time. It's a real downer. And mm -hmm. she just looks like she is having the time of her life. Mm -hmm. she looks so she happy and they put the makeup on because they were also honoring the makeup artist and so they were putting on her dax markings on her face yeah yeah and then she puts on and she just looks like she is having the time of her life i wish i could have been there when i looked through those i was like darn it las vegas isn't even that very far from me <laughs> i wish i could have gone yeah th th yeah that would have been great to see so mike westmore was there he did he put the makeup on terry farrell on the stage dax 539 because he had put it on 538 times before. Wow. And they have shirts, Dax 539 on it. <laughs> so that's great. Well, let me tell you real quick. Tell, tell me what you think about these ideas that we've had in the past here for okay. cosplay at Star Trek Las Vegas. Eventually, when we get the whole Trek FM crew at Star Trek Las Vegas together, Alice, we're planning to go as a group costume. We're planning to go as a staff meeting. We're going to have a table that we all wear. You sort of like and, have it right. on you, right? It's, you it's sort of bulky. It's kind of hard to make our way around the Rio. We're bumping into people a lot. 
Uh, we haven't figured out how we're going to work out things like uh, restroom breaks yet. But <laughs> but I think it, you know, I mean, there are enough people around the table that you could slip out and get away yes, and the I table's so. not going to fall mm-hmm. down. So I think that would work. And personally, I'm going to, I'm going to look just like myself right now. But actually, it's my Jeffrey Combs cosplay. He is everywhere. <laughs> oh, you're just so clever, aren't I'm you, going Chris? as Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> and, uh, but you can't I, tell. You know what? I, I, I actually think that that would be an awesome cosplay, especially if you guys can work out the table so that it has the... Um, <laughs> the you know view screens that come up and go down yeah. and i uh, know i think it would be brilliant and if you put the you know straps on the top then you could easily just one person could you know duck out when they needed to but like actually sitting in in <laughs> in a session i think would be a little bit challenging so i think you might want to just wear yeah. it for a limited amount of time and it could <laughs> show be. off your work yeah. but i think it's brilliant actually <laughs> We have logistical things to work out, but yeah, I think it, it, it could I, be fine. So It could be good. All right. So <laughs> so like I said, we'll put a link in the show notes to this article on StarTrek.com. It is the article that is titled, Feral Wears Original Wedding Dress and Peg Lights Up Vegas. That's the one with the photos that we talked about uh, right yeah. here in the cosplay. All right, Alice. Well, that's all we have in news before we jump in the feature where we're going to be joined by your Educating Geeks co-host, Megan Calcote, as well as Miles McLaughlin from the Sci-Fi Diner and our very own Charlene Schmidt from To The Journey to talk about the Voyager episode, The Thaw. We need to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Audible is the best source of audiobooks that you'll find anywhere online. I've been a customer for 14 years. I absolutely love them. I have hundreds of Audible books in my library. And as a Trek FM listener, you can add a book to your library absolutely free by going to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and signing up for the trial. And Alice, every week we like to recommend a book for people to pick up. And as this is a Star Trek show, we like to keep it Star Trek themed. And because this is a Voyager show today, I've chosen Pathways to recommend. Now, I don't know, you you are into all kinds of things way beyond Star Trek. You probably don't have much time to read Star Trek books. Have you ever read Pathways? I have not, but you know, when we were... When Megan and I were talking earlier, she said that Pathways is actually one of the handful of Star Trek books that she's read. Okay. I have not read any Star Trek fiction myself. Yeah, Pathways is one of the two books that Jerry Taylor wrote. And of course, Jerry Taylor helped create Voyager and created the character of Captain Janeway. And so Mosaic and Pathways are really considered canon because they're written by Jerry Taylor. Interesting. And this one is the previously untold story of Captain Janeway's crew. What happens in this story is a deadly encounter with a hostile alien has left Captain Janeway's crew separated from the starship Voyager and slowly starving to death. I guess because Neelix isn't there to cook Leola root dishes for them. I don't know. know. (laughs) (laughs) But they are slowly starving to death in a disease-ridden alien prison camp. To keep up their determination as they plot their escape, the crew shares with each other the unlikely paths that brought them all to the USS Voyager and the Delta Quadrant. They began as individuals following very different pathways, but together, under the leadership of one remarkable woman, they have become one of the finest teams in the known universe, the crew of the Voyager. So not just the Delta really Quadrant, not just the galaxy. <laughs> The known universe. The universe. I know. Who reads it? 
Who's the reader? It is read by, and, and when I tell you this, I know you're going to go sign up for Audible right now. It's read by Robert Picardo. Oh, I wish you that's wonderful. Okay. All Definitely. right. You got me. I got you. <laughs> so, so go pick up this book. I, it's been a long time since I've read this one. I read both Mosaic and Pathways when they came out. I actually used to have them in hardcover. And this one, as I recall, is, um, I mean, a little bit dark. I mean, some of the things with the prison camp and all, it's right. a little bit more graphic than what you would expect from Star Trek, a Star Trek episode, per se, anyway. But uh, but the prison is a framing story for the characters to tell their their back stories right. and their history. So it's kind of cool. And because it is written by Jerry Taylor, you, you can kind of take it as canon, as this is where these characters came from. Yeah, it's a great premise. So go check it out and you can get it free. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And when you do that, it really helps us here on the network. It helps us keep the ready room coming to you every week. And there's nothing to lose either because if you decide at the end not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that book. So go go try it, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. I know you'll enjoy it. And we thank Audible for supporting the show and the network. Over the years, Starfleet crews have faced off against a dizzying array of opponents. Mainstream baddies like Klingons, Romulans, and Borg are formidable but straightforward. Technical glitches like holodeck malfunctions or sentient silicon are also fairly routine, but what happens when your opponent isn't something tangible but rather an emotion? We've gone on yellow alert against our own imaginations. In fact, we did it last week here on the show. But when the personification of fear comes around, it's not quite so easy to just stop thinking about it. So today we're going to talk about how Starfleet officers deal with fear as we discuss the second season Voyager episode, The Thaw. And to help us do that, we've filled up all five stasis chambers as we're joined by Megan Calcote of Educating Geeks. Hello, Megan. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, a long time. Where have I you know. been? Why have you been on the show recently? I, You know, I, I went on a really long trip. It's been a long time. <laughs> well, we're glad you're back. Also, Miles McLaughlin from the Sci-Fi Diner, first time on the Ready Room. Miles, welcome. Thanks, Christopher. It's, it's great to be here and uh, do the show with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you. And, and I'm glad you're here, too, because otherwise I would really be outnumbered by all the ladies today because we're also joined by our resident Voyager expert and co-host of To The Journey. To The Journey! Mistress Charlene Schmidt. Hello, Char, people. Welcome. <laughs> Control yourself, Char. No. I'm going to be dancing <laughs> rapidly through this whole thing. I am glad that you wore your leotard and brought your streamer today. I did. I did. I'm pumped. <laughs> In that your red very, nose. very, very nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. So a quick synopsis for those who haven't seen this episode in a long time. This is the episode where Voyager, while making its way home from the Delta Quadrant, encounters a planet where the satellites aren't working. And so, of course, they decide to find out what's wrong with the satellites. And they find these five humanoids in these chambers that uh, two of them are dead Three of them, they were supposed to wake up. They get an automated message that don't wake us up for 15 years. Well, it's been 19 years. So, of course, they want to find out what's wrong. Turns out the computer hooked up to these people's brains has created fear itself in the form of Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> and Michael McKeon plays a crazy clown 
which is the embodiment of fear. And Harry almost dies, Blana almost dies, the humanoids almost die. In the end, Janeway outsmarts fear, and Voyager continues on its way. That's the basic story. So, guys, let's start out by just talking about the concept and the fact that fan reaction to this episode wasn't great in first run. I think it was the second least viewed episode of season two. Uh, its ratings were not great wow. in general. Um, people seem to still be very mixed on it even today. Shar, how about you? What What did you think first time you saw this episode? And do you feel differently now? I like this episode more now than I did on first viewing. But I didn't hate it on first viewing either. I thought it was different. I thought it was very unusual from the typical alien of the week. And that is why I liked it. And yet I can sort of empathize and see why that would also make people not like it. But what really makes this thing set apart is Michael McKeon. I want to say that straight off. Yeah, he's Word. such a great job. What about you, Megan? Now, now, Megan, I remember we were talking about doing this episode. You promised you would not be scared to death if we did this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I came very close. <laughs> Your norepinephrine this levels is... were peak mass, sir? Yeah, they were peaking for sure. Um, <laughs> critical levels. Yeah, this is it's still not one of my favorite Voyager episodes. I wasn't wild about it when it aired. I don't know what it is. It's just not. It's just not one of my favorites. Even okay, with Michael great. McKean, who I love, um, so it's good. just not yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. I say great because it should be an interesting discussion today if we do have some differing viewpoints on this episode. Alice, you're sitting there right next to Megan, uh, both of you in the same frame. If this were Hollywood Squares, it would be very confusing to the contestants. I don't know. Do they get a double block if they get this right? That happens sometimes, I think. <laughs> they do. Yeah. 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 Oh, I think they have done that before, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Did they ever put Whoopi and Jim J. Bullock in the same square, though? No. I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Probably so. Not. <laughs> Probably not. So, Alice, what do you think about this episode? Uh, when it, I didn't, I don't think I disliked it as much as Megan did when it first came out, it, it because of the clown nature of it, it kind of feels like a cop-out, you know, uh, post all of the films in the 80s that sort of featured scary clowns. It, it kind of felt like, why clowns? Um, but I enjoyed the exploration of what it means to fear and how you deal with fear and what fear means to you. I mean, I think those are all really interesting topics. And uh, watching it this time, I always find it interesting the more you watch something and the more that you know what to expect from it, the more I'm mm -hmm. likely to like it more mm -hmm. uh, versus having my expectations uh, shattered. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't hate it when it first came out. And I, I still enjoy that fear. I just think is a really interesting topic to oh, cover in fiction. It would have been interesting if the clown had killed those people by having their expectations shattered. The fear of having your expectations <laughs> shattered caused so much trauma that is a fear isn't it <laughs> that you die it is right all right well miles how about you how do you feel about this episode i when i watched it the first time and i watched it in its first airing i was in my earlier 20s and it didn't have a lot of rewatchability um you, you know even though like everybody said we, we all love michael mckeon um I, I hope as i've gotten older that um, I, I try to be a little more discriminating when i watch an episode now and I went through a Voyager rewatch last year, and I appreciated it more for the things we're exploring now. 
and I watched it again earlier this week and try trying to see what I maybe maybe something I missed when I saw it last time or try to find a new detail and well I'll, I'll save some of my thoughts for the rest of the conversation but um, I, I appreciate it more now okay I guess being a little older I'm not saying I'm wiser but just a little older uh, now that I when I first watched it <laughs> same here <laughs> yeah I'm I'm with you I was also got when this came on I I guess I was what mid 20s maybe Something what like, year did in, it come out well, this would have been this is season two, so it would have been ninety six. Yeah, okay. yeah. So mid twenties, I actually was just wrapping up university at that time. So, um, I, I didn't. I guess I had similar feelings like you guys have expressed when it first came out. I wasn't that keen on it. I thought it was kind of weird. It wasn't the Star Trek that the episode that you were expecting. Like each week, because we had been through TNG, and especially if you. Well, really, you had early DS9, which is very TNG-like as well. So if you think about TNG, early DS9, and Voyager, you really had become accustomed to the types of episodes you were going to get. And this one is really different. And I also found the clown very creepy <laughs> when he was first on. And as I've watched it over the years, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. And what you said, Alice, is probably true, where like when you know what to expect you're more likely to like it when you, we start reading more into it. And the last time I did a list of best Voyager episodes, I actually put this episode on my list of best Voyager episodes. So I really like this one. So <laughs> maybe Megan, we're going to be on opposite sides probably here on this one. Awesome. I, I think I like it because Michael McKeon's performance is really excellent yeah. as the clown, I think. and And I think he really showed especially when this came on I kind of had what I was accustomed to of Michael McKeon you know from his past work and then Saturday Night Live and things like that and I thought he really showed what a good actor he is and how he can bring the material to life in this episode and I really appreciate that more as I watch it even as I watched it this morning I thought wow he really the expressions and the way he delivers the lines is just excellent and I appreciate the fact that they really did something unique here yeah. with this episode it's really really different and and i think it stands up quite well definitely so the imagination is what's very interesting here and marvin rush who directed this had just seen federico fellini's eight and a half and it was fresh in his mind and he drew upon that as inspiration for the visuals and the imagery in this episode which obviously connected with char since she came dressed just like the characters <laughs> in the episode today. naturally um, I, I'm not that familiar personally with eight and a half. I think Alice and Miles, I think you guys can speak a little bit to it. How do you feel about the imagery and the visuals bringing imagination to life here? I have mixed feelings personally, you know, cause I mean, Fellini's films are very much known for their sort of, uh, unique and bizarre presentation, but you know, with how it's presented on uh, the episode for me, uh, I don't think it's that direct of a connection for me. I mean, it kind of comes off as you were joking, you know, people in leotards with ribbons that they're shaking. I think the most interesting character visually for me is the one that's more reminiscent of Donnie Darko, sort of the very large creature with the huge teeth. 
Okay. At yeah. the very he beginning. Re- he reminded me of something you would see in a Miyazaki animation. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. also yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Great connection there. Um, so, I mean, I get the wackiness, but again, I don't know if it's because of the production value or whatever. It came off sort of more like, you know, cheap circus or, you know, yeah. high school gymnastics class. Oh, yeah. are you suggesting that Glee should do the thaw on on stage? The thaw, the music. Actually, yeah. that that might be a little more entertaining. That, actually, you know, they even have a song in the episode ready to go. You know, the a virus, a virus, and they've given a little dance. Oh, I, they can yeah, do this. I, I was gonna, I was gonna say we need to sing that at some point in the show. Today. <laughs> <laughs> he thinks that I'm a virus. It's a virus. A virus. <laughs> I like the line, Harry knows viruses. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, what kind of viruses? Um, well, he does get space yeah. herpes later. <laughs> See, sexual undertones, I'm telling you. There's a lot of stuff that would just make Freud so happy in this yeah, episode. Yeah, might have a field day with this one. <laughs> mm. <laughs> what about you, Miles? Any thoughts on the Fellini inspiration? I'm not familiar with Fellini. I was thinking, this reminded me maybe a... Uh, maybe a Cirque du Soleil, but on a much smaller stage. Um, yeah. And, 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 and thinking mm. about that, I was, this is kind of going off a little thinking about that, that, that scene in the movie knocked up when they're, when Seth Rogen is watching that with, uh, and him, I guess he'd taken some LSD just before and scared the crap out of him. But, um, this, what, what, you know, if this was a little scary too. Yeah. This is kind of like a Cirque du Soleil from hell. Yes, it is. Yeah. Because I've seen a Cirque du Soleil. They're actually very awesome. But this is a little twisted. It's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because it's, it, I mean, it could be a lot darker, right? I mean, it could have oh, been yeah. a lot darker. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. More, more characters like the guy with the big teeth. Um, I think the darkest it gets is when he puts on the surgical mask and he's about to cut Harry. <laughs> That's, that whole scene starts to evolve into something very creepy. And then the EMH comes in, yes. <laughs> your thumb is not, your finger is not in the right position. Well, if you look at the, the costumes, uh, all, all the chorus, they're all very bright and colorful. But uh, Michael McKeon's, he's, it's mm-hmm. gray and white. And, I, and that, that's, that's on purpose. I mean. Oh, yeah. I love that mm-hmm. contrast. Yeah. And how they painted his face with the lines that come down from his eyes to the corner mm-hmm. of his mouth. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's. And he and and I'm with you, Chris. The the what he does, what that man does with his face during this episode, with this the the grins, and really, it's his performance more than the chorus for me. That 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 is mm-hmm. the scary part. The chorus to me is frivolity and silliness. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have been a holodeck for episode frivolity kind of a thing, but he's just there is just something in his performance that's just creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I got the feeling that when. Torres and, and Kim started walking on. I just got the feeling he's like, ah, fresh meat. He's had these people mm-hmm. for a while now, but he had, you know, he's, he's killed two of them, and but now he's got two two new minds to feast on. So mm-hmm. he he was having his own field day. Mm-hmm. Boy, mm-hmm. Belana was not going to take any crap, was she? Oh heck no! No, get out of my way! Mm-hmm. I'm leaving now. She's all. Does she business. ever take any crap? No, she never she takes never crap. Takes no, crap. but she mellows as the show goes on. So when you see, I mean, she mellows to the extent that she is going to mellow as a half Klingon. But, <laughs> you know, as 
her relationship with Tom sort of mellows her out a bit. And so when you go back and you watch these early seasons where she's still just like uber feisty. Yeah. He's yeah, like, fiery beastie. She's I not even going to talk to fear. Fiery Bellano. <laughs> That's right. She's not taking crap from fear. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, when the EMH comes in, I love that scene too. Like, they use the EMH really well. Let's talk about having a hologram. I think it's really handy to have a hologram around. And again, this is season two, Voyagers. So this is pre. This is pre uh, mobile emitter, right, Correct. Char? That comes uh, later on. So a uh, season three. So we are still at the point here where the doctor is limited to sick bay or holodeck or the emergency medical hologram channel. <laughs> Please switch right. to your emergency medical hologram channel. <laughs> Which you can mute anyway. I'd imagine that's that's like an <laughs> app, right? You can download that onto your <laughs> pad. <laughs> Hey, I'd have no problems carrying Robert Picardo around on my iPad. Like, that'd be totally fine with me. Yeah, that wouldn't be so bad, would it? No. Nah. I'm surprised somebody hasn't created that app already. Let's do it right Let's now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Truck FM app, Robert Picardo on your iPad. Sweet. Excellent. The This is a good use of him, though, where it makes perfect sense that he could appear in this situation. And not only that, but... Thank goodness they had him because if they didn't have him, they may not have been able to get themselves out of this situation that they've put themselves into. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, it's a great comedy. Again, when he grabs the clown's <laughs> arm and says, you know, you're holding it the wrong way. Right. Yeah. Proper placement of the index finger is important. <laughs> Perfect doctor. But throughout the episode, there's all this frivolity going on. And then the clown bumps into the doctor and everything stops. It's just a great way to stop it over and over. Shard, what did you think about the doctor's role in this episode? Definitely necessary. Like you said, they probably wouldn't have gotten out of this one without having a hologram. Or they might have thought about maybe using a holographic character that we don't care about, but this is much more important. This is very good use of the doctor. And he's got such great one-liners in this episode. The way he confronts fear because he does not have any fear. Uh, It's -hmm. fantastic. Very well utilized. And Janeway, too, that twist at the end, what they do with her to ultimately beat fear. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, uh, (laughs) Torres and uh, um, Harry wasn't getting anywhere with fear. They needed somebody who, I mean, Torres just wanted to beat the crap out of fear, and (laughs) that wasn't going to work. And and, and Harry Kim... uh, yeah, he just wasn't going to work either. Um, no. So you need to bring somebody in that just wouldn't... He wouldn't take any crap, but he could, you know, at the same time, not get uh, flustered by fear, or he, he, he wouldn't do anything stupid either. It was also important that Fear, the clown, couldn't read his mind. Yeah. Yes. Because if he could have read his mind, the, the whole plot would not have worked. And there's the, the scene later when the doctor negotiates with fear to let everyone go and just Janeway's going to come, the fact that Harry has no idea what this plan is because Harry still thinks that he's going to have to come back and get Janeway out because if Harry had known, then it wouldn't right. work. Yeah, true, right? Did Harry come off as just super arrogant to you guys in this episode, though? No. Not not for me. No. Not really. No. no. Did he, to you? My, yeah, yeah, to me. Really? Okay, how so? It's just the 
the plan like aha here's this and the way he talks to fear and he's like and as soon as you can't tap into their brains anymore you will disappear i feel like that you know what i kind of agree with you on that um i'm not i'm not a big fan of harry kim sorry um but yeah, I I do now that you say that I agree. Yeah, yeah. and plus well, I would make Harry gets to do the PowerPoint presentation in this episode <laughs> instead of Tuvok. <laughs> so I would I would counter argument, Chris, that if I were in a situation where I was facing my fear, mm-hmm. I might bolster my attitude mm-hmm. with a little bit of overconfidence mm-hmm. to try and get myself through the situation. Exactly, that's exactly okay. what that I feel sense. like he's doing yeah, too. Yeah, point. it's sort of like you, you know the high school bully, when confronted with that person, you were going to puff out your chest just a little bit and try to face the enemy to get through, just to get by for that moment in that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, because if you come across as weak, well, then you're dead already. Right, yeah. they're just going to continue to manipulate you and use you. and mm-hmm. Yeah, you're done already. So he had to do that. He had to. So it's a good thing this wasn't a TNG episode and Barkley beamed over. He would have been very <laughs> dead. He would have been so screwed. <laughs> well, I, I did want to say I think the doctor is my favorite part of this episode. It's like there's just something. This episode's not that scary to me. Um, and so he comes in and it's like a breath of fresh air into the scene. Um, and you're right. I love his introduction. And I think that this I don't know for sure but I could see this as the doctor finally getting out helping them realize okay maybe we need to do something that gives the doctor a little bit more mobility because mm-hmm. he was so limited by just being in sick bay all the time and having him go into the strange situation was just fabulous it's one of the best parts of the episode for sure um and I was so glad that it happened and he is so wonderfully snarky he really oh, yeah. is he's such oh, a yeah, fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. character to your point there, Megan, also you hear Bolana makes the comment that, you know, this plan with the simulated brain won't work. It'll never work. You know, artificial intelligence can never mimic an actual brain. And the doctor says, I'll try not to take that as <laughs> yeah. offensive or he whatever the word He gets offended by that. Yeah. But, but yeah, so we're still at the point here where, like you say, they haven't yet realized that he is a valu- valuable member of the crew and maybe they should do something more with him. Miles, any thoughts on the doctor? The doctor is shown he is an asset. Uh, he can do things that the rest of the crew can't do. And like Lady said, he, he he welds snarkiness like a weapon. And that made this episode a lot more enjoyable. Um, Shar's right. The, the one-liners are just, they're just, just true gold. There's one point where they start to push the doctor away after they're trying to cut off the head of Viorsa and the doctor pushes Viorsa away, try to keep him away from that. At one point, I felt, especially watching it today, that it was almost implied. I don't think it actually was, but it felt like it was implied that they were going to drag the doctor over and try to cut his head off. And I actually wanted to see that happen and see the reaction of the clown when he realized that the doctor Mm -hmm. isn't real in any sense, that you can't cut his head off. Game over then. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Would have been interesting. What do, would the head actually have been severed? Would we have seen a holographic? No, head I think roll the blade the would have just gone through, and his head would have just stayed He's there. Still probably. there. Yeah, yeah. that's what I think too. And then how does fear too. react to that? Interesting. You always come up with the rewrites, Chris. 
<laughs> Actually, that's Shaw and Tristan. They are the king and queen oh, yeah? of rewrites. We love、yeah. to do that. Yes, we do. What, how this episode could be better? We might have to do this yeah, one. They, Who knows? Or different. They do well, that on the, the journey, musical, right? So,、oh, yes, oh, that's yeah, already taken. So we'll have to think of something else. We have a lot of musicals coming up because Michael Fisher and I are planning. It's a fake the musical. Awesome. <laughs> Starring Vrinak. Yes. Kick ass! I can't wait for that. It's awesome because、uh, at intermission you can go to the the gift shop and they actually sell the isolinear rides. <laughs> and it has the logo、Fantastic. on it.、Yeah. Now, when they hand it to you, do they say it's a fake? They do. They warn you it's a fake. Good, good. I know,、Whoa. and I'm okay with that. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually go to、Speaking、that. I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> I would go. That would be awesome. You would. They need to do that at like Las Vegas or something. While we're on the topic of holograms and mentioning Janeway, I was also watching this time. To see how Kate Mulgrew was portraying Janeway as a hologram, as a as opposed to actual Janeway, to see if she's doing anything there, and I feel like she is. Like there's some sort of there's a deadness to Captain Janeway as a hologram. It's subtle, but it's there. I totally agree. Compared to how she would play that if it really were Janeway opposite, and one reason I was. Paying attention to it this time is earlier we were talking about what Michael McKeon does with his face, and at the end of the episode, this was kind of unusual for an episode. They actually shot this pretty much in sequence of scenes, and they shot the final scene as the actual final scene. That that was the last thing they shot. Michael McKeon said they had been going like sixteen hours a day. He was just exhausted when he got to that final scene, but it actually helped him play the scene better. And because、Smart、they、director. they got rid of everyone else, and it's dimly lit, and it's just Michael McKeon and Kate Mulgrew, it really feels like a stage play at that point. Oh yeah, yeah. and yeah, and so I'm also picturing Kate Mulgrew playing Janeway as a hologram, but as a stage play as well. So, Shar, you're jumping at the bit here on the camera when I'm saying this. Did you see? You saw that also. I in, really in did. It is subtle, but it is there because hologram Janeway is a little flatter, a little less passionate, and much more calculated than Janeway actually is. So that was masterful. I, I felt like the the one time where there's a little less of a bleed is when she delivers the line. <laughs> you think right, so? We all know the line.、Oh. Yeah, I, the line. You mean I did、line. fool you? What's <laughs> not the line? You're no. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> What <laughs> do they、um, sort of lead and misdirect us though? For, they 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 have Jane White in the、uh, stasis, stasis pod. They have、mm-hmm. um, an implant on her head, and then. Fear is saying he's starting to read her thoughts now. Now, in retrospect,、right. we know what's going on. But、mm-hmm. did, did the writers and did they did they mislead us? I mean, into thinking that it was Janeway in the、uh, yes in the program. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah first time、us. around, and that's yeah. yeah I, I think, think this whole thing is it's well written and it's well acted because you. They do trick you the first time through, and then after you've seen it over and over, and you know what's going on, that's when you start looking for nuance. Like, okay, she's playing Janeway's a hologram.、Right. How is she doing? That? 
Yeah, no, no but it's so true. it's the Starfleet captains don't easily succumb to fear. When she delivers yeah. that line for me, she's she she feels a little bit more regular Janeway for me. Hmm. I didn't think that was okay. the line. Oh, which was the oh no? I see. I the, thought the line was "I did fool you" because I thought she was channeling Willie Tanner because it's exactly the way he would say the line to Alf. Mm. Oh. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah, no, I love it. That's but that for for me of her performance through the whole thing when she delivers that line yeah. is it, it, I right. loved it. I just loved it. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought that line. I wrote it down because that line like really stood out to me. I loved the way it was delivered. Um, I felt like after the reveal, you started to see more of the cold calculating hologram program. I think it initially she did a really good job of hiding the fact that she wasn't Janeway. But then you see Mm -hmm. kind of the hologram coming through. Yeah. And for me, that whole setup is what I'm talking about, where um, the clown is it's like he's he's so excited. It's like he can he's anticipating it sweet anticipation and for me that's the the, that's the part that really plays sexual undertones for me is that whole bit where he's just like i can't wait till she arrives so i can lick her or something you know that's what you're talking about on twitter okay i got it yeah no i agree with you on that yeah i had the same feeling apparently janeway's not afraid of being licked (laughs) (laughs) well because starfleet captains don't succumb to licking easily no they don't She had to hold off See, Coco now for that's, how many years? When you said the line, that's the one I was thinking of right there, Alice. That was the line. It's like, I it's feel either, like we've, um, we've devolved into Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. territory here. It's Voyager. It was this that one happens. or it was the one where Harry was protesting about his part in the plan. And she said, we're Starfleet officers, Harry. Fear is part of the job. Indeed she it just is. It has that like, psycho fill in the blank thing for her. It's just so mad that's a question. What, you know, he's convinced, fear is convinced that Janeway would not let Harry die. Do you agree? Yes. I think she would totally let him die. How many times well, has she let him die over and over and over already? Yeah, so, I mean, right? Yeah. Well, he did say yeah, earlier he, that he would rather die than, than be left. So, I mean, he's like, go ahead and pull the plug if that's what it means. You know, it, true. It, if you can't get me out of here, then pull the plug. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't need Janeway's help. He's willing to go voluntarily. He's done enough times. Well, I just thought that was interesting that in reading, you know, wherever he's pulling that information from, reading Balana's mind and Kim's mind, that he he develops this concept that she wouldn't let Harry die. Um, that's Harry's mommy I, issues. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and he that's says why, that. He says she's kind of like an old mother to you, right? Yeah. But I think she would. <laughs> a dear old mother. Yeah. I never thought of Balana as a dear old mother to Harry, but... <laughs> so that's what Harry is thinking in his mind because the clown is reading his mind. Well, I mean, he, if if the clown is the one who's going to say that, oh well, Janeway would never let Harry die, he has mm-hmm. to be gathering that information from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the only really options well, would be from Harry and Bellana because those are the only minds he has to read. Right. As the captain. Right. I, I think at this point, Harry knows that even if I die, I'm going to come back. So he's okay with it. He's like, this is true. He's done this no how many times before? <laughs> I mean, this is only season two, and there's already been a few instances where this has happened. So, yeah, he's thinking, oh, death, been there, done that. Bring it. 
I was also wondering, since there are manifestations from people's minds and their, you know, fears and their desires or whatever in this episode, holographic Janeway, uh, we know on DS9, Vic gets the holographic Cura to, to match up with Odo from Bashir's uh, James Bond simulations. Did this holographic Janeway, did this come from one of Chakotay's simulations? No. <laughs> No, no, no. She, there was no monkey. She wasn't wearing a dress, okay. and she wasn't testing insect specimens. Okay. So there was no bathtub. And right. this was also before resolution, so that couldn't have happened. <laughs> oh, my. Well, you know, time is not really linear, Char. So the monkey, he's always been there, and he always will be. Oh. I take the Janeway stance on time travel. It gives me a headache. <laughs> that's why she drinks so much coffee right the caffeine just helps to numb that well it helps you jump to warp and then time doesn't matter as much <laughs> oh well let's talk about fear itself here uh we've ended up talking a lot about the final scene with janeway one thing i love about that scene though is the fading to black the lighting of it the the lighting is also part of what i think enhances her performance of Janeway as a hologram, but also just the fading to black, the idea that fear can be overcome. There are a lot of, of great lines in this episode. In fact, one of them is actually from the clown and it comes earlier in the episode, but the clown says that when your only reality is an illusion, then illusion is a reality, which I thought was a really, that's a whole story in itself. That's yes. one of the things that fascinates yeah. me about yeah. uh, science fiction, the idea of, you know, what if everything around us really is an illusion? So that is a great one. But uh, Janeway says that it, it's back when they're having their staff meeting. I love they have a staff meeting in this episode. And, and, <laughs> and talk about performances and nuances. Watch Tim Russ. Watch how upset Tuvok is that he is not the one doing the PowerPoint. <laughs> right. it's, it's written all over his face right, right. here. I mean, at least co-presenters. Yeah, come on. They should have been co-presenters. So... But, but they're talking there and Janeway talks about fear. And what I think is interesting about this episode also is that fear has benefits as well yes. as negative aspects. And she says the ability to recognize danger, to fight it or run away from it, which is apparently something that it's a concept that she can talk about, but hasn't really sunk in for her yet. If you watch the series Voyager, how many times she fails to recognize danger, how many times she flies right into it instead of running away from it. They, no, but, no, no, no. Starfleet captains don't easily succumb to fear. That's right. Get it straight. We're looking. But I, but I love what she says here about it. She says, that's what fear gives us. But when fear holds you hostage, how do you make it let go? And so when they fade to black, she finally is making fear let go and fear does fade away. And I think it's the positive, as weird and creepy as this episode can be, and, and I agree it's not as dark as it could be, but I think a lot of people saw this episode when they were young, because a lot of Voyager fans, they were like 15, 16 years old when Voyager was in first run, and that was their first series, and they were just the right age for it, and maybe even younger, like I know people that were like 10 or 12 and watching Voyager in first run, and so this episode could be really creepy to those people at that age, very understandably. And 
the positive message from at the end is, you know, fear is fading away that you can overcome fear. And, and creatively, I love the way that they dealt with it at the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is why I love this episode so much. It's got a fantastic message. This is classic Trek here, guys. Um, yeah, I love what Janeway says about fear being a little bit of it is healthy, but too much of it will just paralyze you. And I mean, think about our own lives. We've all have these instances where we've had that moment where maybe we froze in fear or we had to overcome the fear and face the fear. Whatever it is, it doesn't even matter, but it is a part of our lives. And this is just a very exaggerated version of that. Or is it? I mean, some people really do live their lives entirely out of fear of everything. Yeah. yeah. I sure wish I could have a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> Me too sometimes. That would be nice. Well, because I mean, from, from that standpoint, I mean, it's, a, you know, one of the things that Star Trek is so good at doing is, and science fiction in general, is using the different, the other, the not yet created to be a reflection for us or a way for us to examine what our humanity might be like. But but certainly, it, it is a bit of a convenience to have the hologram face the fear versus a human individual facing the fear. So do you think that was a cop-out in the storytelling by not having the human crew members have to deal with it only by themselves? Not necessarily. I mean, I, again, if you look at it, I don't know that I'm going to use the right literary term, term so I'm going to look at uh, Megan. You know, if it's metaphor or allegory, one of those two, that it's a representation of, right? And that's often what science fiction is so good at doing. So no, I don't completely fault it. But if we're really going to, you know, take it down to the basics and brass tacks, it is true that indeed it was a hologram that had to face this fear and not a, an actual individual. Mm-hmm. True. I don't know. I it's don't think it's a cop out. A very begrudging. A very begrudging. Well, no. I'm, again, I'm not saying that it's a it's a it's a cop out, but in the end, it is true. Yes, it <laughs> is. And yet, I don't feel like they had any choice. And so, this was a creative way to use the hologram yeah. idea yeah. instead no, of the, you know that. malfunction of the week like they normally would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I think that it works here because we see our characters facing fear all the time. I mean, Starfleet officers are in frightening situations on a weekly basis or a daily basis or however often it actually happens for them. And and here, because we were dealing with the personification of an emotion with fear, confronting that with a hologram worked for me because really you've got two sort of abstract concepts and characters facing off against one another. That's a very good point, Chris. I like that. Hadn't thought about it. <laughs> what about you, Miles? I'm thinking if they would have done this, if they would have filmed this today, maybe what they would have, well, this was mid-90s, and probably they are still trying to keep a balance between the diehard Star Trek fans and maybe maybe family and, and kids that might be watching this episode. So I, I think we would have probably seen it even a little more darker if it was filmed today. Um we may have even seen the um, uh, proverbial red shirt or yellow shirt get killed. So maybe the stakes would have been higher if we, if we would have seen, you know, if Starfleet would have seen one of their own killed, but they, they didn't. They saw one of the other aliens killed, which is bad. Don't get me wrong, but I think mm-hmm. um, they would have gone gone even even darker and deeper if uh, they would have made this episode today. You know, I think I would take it a step further even and they would have just killed off a main character, period. Maybe it would have been Harry because that's what happens in uh, you know, serial dramas today. Mm-hmm. Think Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones. Everybody can die. Uh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. If it were on a cable like channel, today. maybe the next Star <laughs> yeah. Trek series will be on a cable channel. <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of discussion about that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Rod Roddenberry and I talked about that on a Matter Stream a long time ago, about what if Star Trek were on Showtime, for example. You know, what would they do with it? So, um, Oh, I have a crossover idea here, though, for Oops, the TNG Voyager crossover. Okay, bring it. We're going to have... Data beam down here after he gets his emotion chip, but he can't control his emotions yet. He has to face off against fear. Ooh, well, oh, that could be Ooh, that would have been interesting. I think Data with his emotions chip um, not working right would give fear a run for his money. <laughs> or well, um... I, th- I think it would be interesting to see if you could dispel fear through <laughs> bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was Neelix's idea, right? It was. Oh, it, it really was Neelix's was. idea. That's right. <laughs> Tell him a joke. The was so good. That's I love right. that moment. <laughs> oh. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> I've got an idea. Let's tell him a joke. Yeah. Oh, tell thank you joke. so much for bringing for that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's his one contribution to the episode. The one. He had oh. one job and he did it well this time. <laughs> he did, yeah. That's the point where everyone else in the staff meeting is thinking, why do we invite him to these teams? Right? <laughs> You're the freaking chef! Cook! Exactly. Why is the cook here? What is he bringing? Well, even as the guide, he didn't help out much either. Oh, I know. Like, no. how long ago was this a trading route? Um, it was... Um, yeah, oh, tw- It seems maybe. like they've been in stasis for 19 years, Cap. About 19 years. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was saying. Yeah. yeah. Right. He's an awful guide. Oh, he looks really is. sucks as a guide. He's a good morale officer most of the time. He's a great chef most of the time, save for the Yola route. But he is not <laughs> a guide. He was totally lying about that. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, what about, I mean, creatively, we talked about creative elements quite a bit already, but they did something. We just talked about North Star on Warp 5 this past week. And one thing they did in North Star is they used a bleach bypass process in processing the film to give it this sort of overblown look where the highlights are blown out a bit. And I thought it it worked really well for that episode because it gave it a unique look, a little bit alien, a little bit hot. And it's sepia without going all the way to sepia. And here they also played with the processing a little bit to make the colors punchier. Although you can't tell that on the DVD that I was watching this morning. I But maybe if you go to Netflix, maybe you can see it. That's why we need Blu-rays of Voyager. That's right. Maybe we'll see Not it so much on Amazon Prime either. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but I don't know to how much extreme they went with that in terms of how it reads on the screen. Uh, are there any creative elements that we haven't talked about already that pop out to you guys in this episode? Well, we did touch on it a little bit, but that fade to black, I think, was one of the mm-hmm. most unique things that any episode of Star Trek has ever done. And the, the lighting on that was just fantastic. And just the way that they use the shadows, I I don't really think any uh, any Star Trek has done anything like that before or since. But that's like the really only thing that stood out at me. If they did some kind of post processing, I really it did not jump out at me at yeah. all in this episode. I think it's I think it's one of those things where if they do remaster Voyager in HD and they put it on Blu-ray, maybe then we'll really see it because it's the case with Enterprise too with North Star. When you watch it on Blu-ray you can really see what they did with the film that maybe you didn't notice as much before. Because standard definition, so much of the stuff they do just doesn't really read. Mm. Even Mm. without that processing, though, I think the colors, the incredible vividness 
of the color and the hard lighting, very TOS-esque mm. at that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Definitely gives mm. it a very unusual look and feel that's very different from the chromatic color palette of Voyager that's very well lit. And then the use of mm-hmm. shadows, fantastic. And then, yeah, the fade to black. Um, yeah, I know some people don't like it, and I can't understand why. I just think that's beautifully it's done. It's a great ending. I mean, fade to black, and sometimes I'm mixed on, like, if the clown should say drat at the yeah, end, what? or if Janeway should have the last line and just say, I know. I agree. I'm kind of mixed mm-hmm. on how I feel about that, but it fades to black, and then the credits come up, and... I think it's one of the, one of the best endings yes. of a Star Trek episode. Oh, Chris, you're the only other person I know who actually feels this way about the clown not saying drat. Some people uh, have told me, no, no, he has to say drat. No, I think it would be even better if it had just ended with Janeway saying, I know. I think, yeah, I lean I agree. more towards that, yeah. I yeah. think it would have been more powerful if they had ended it there. Yeah, so yeah. in my canon, he doesn't say that. It's <laughs> muted. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> okay. I mean, she did say fear was supposed to fade. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, how could you say drought if you faded? Yeah. No, you don't need any last words. Just go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I th- I think it, it does sort of weaken it a little bit because you are letting fear have the last word. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So, no, yeah. no, no. Mm-mm. It's possible that they did that on purpose, but I, w- I really would have liked it if Janeway had had the last word. Yeah. Especially of- the way that she delivered it, too. Mm. It was such a great delivery. It kind of cheapens that great delivery for me, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's in the yeah. script. And actually, I knew it was in the script. And I went back to watch the ending again one more time to make sure he really does say it because I almost forget that it's there sometimes <laughs> because it's one of those things where you feel like maybe the actors would say, I don't think we should say this. And then they just... They should have. Let it go. But but it is there. So. It is there. And it's very common writing. You, you know, mm. anytime you have a villain, it's it's often that they cut to the villain at the very last scene to suggest that perhaps they're not really going away or they have some zingy one-liner at the end. I mean, it's a relatively common um, writing style or end yeah. of a movie style kind of a thing. But I definitely agree with you guys that I would prefer it to have that that powerful ending with Janeway. I agree with you guys. Yeah. Gals, I guess I should say for this episode. <laughs> guys yeah. and gals. Guys and gals. <laughs> At least you uh, didn't girls say... Girls get called guys all the time. I think We do. We're used to it. <laughs> it has become a generic... Yeah, it is. Generic. I'm changing that. I'm changing At least he didn't say, I'll be seeing you again. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Until next time. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys also find it interesting how quickly Harry knows how to just tap out the control panels on those stasis chambers? He's brilliant. They can do that. But then later he says, I just don't know enough about the system. And I'm thinking, well, (laughs) at that point, I'm thinking, how long have they had these stasis chambers on the ship and how long have they been studying them? Because otherwise... Harry, I don't expect you to know much about alien technology that you beamed on the ship two hours ago. They do that a lot on it's Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, it is. For the 45 minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't have time to learn the language or learn the alien wording or whatever. They just have to bypass right. that. Just, just tap they it never out. have to go through the operating system tutorial. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> At least in a movie, they have a little bit more time. Like when 
Data starts explaining the nuances of the Riemann language to Picard. Picard's like, yeah. this is really fascinating data, but if you could just get the door open, yeah. that would be helpful. What I think is interesting with the TV series is, right, they've got limited time within the episode, but the great yeah. thing that a TV series does that a movie doesn't let you do is it lets you have the relationships develop over time. Yes. So right. you can have somebody fall in love over years, whereas in movies, you know, they meet each other and 10 minutes later, they're like, you know, doing the happy mambo back in the hotel room, you know, I mean, it's... <laughs> You, know. you don't waste time in movies. Right. Nice try, Alice, but that's not going to be the show title today. <laughs> it's a good candidate, though. <laughs> All right. Well, let's... Uh, any final thoughts? Let's wrap up with final thoughts and our ratings for the episode. Shar, how about you? Well, you know what uh, this episode makes me think of is when I was doing my very first class with uh, public speaking students first day. First thing I told them, practically, the only way you're not going to hate it is if you just keep doing it. And it's true. The more you desensitize yourself to a situation, the less it has an emotional impact on you. And so in the case of facing a fear, the more you face it, the better you conquer it. And, you know, I, one other thing we didn't bring up is how Jane Wade brought up how some people like to test their limits and see just mm-hmm. how... It's- how far to the edge they can go with their fear, like riding roller coasters. I think coasters. that's the doctor. The doctor says that about yeah, riding, the do- well, the and that it can says bring. Some people, yeah, it can be, and it can be joyful. People Joy, enjoy yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. She was in that conversation, though, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was yeah. saying it to her. Absolutely. All right, all right. <laughs> and you know, people like to push those limits, whereas other people are completely paralyzed by it. And what does fear want? Fear wants you to be afraid. That's how it thrives. And that's exactly how it was defeated in the episode. That's, oh, I love this episode. So good. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your rating, Char? Mm, My rating is nine stasis chambers. Out of ten? You don't know. Yeah. Unspecified number. Yeah, we don't get too specific here on the ready room. Okay. (laughs) This is where um, the ratings don't matter. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. The ratings are made up and That's they right. don't matter. <laughs> That's right. How about you, Megan? Um, I would give this one two out of five pink guillotines. All right. Are those are those well dusted? <laughs> yes, they're well dusted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Any final thoughts or just a rating? Yeah, we'll just stick with the rating. All right. How about you, Alice? <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm more with Shar on this one. I, I enjoy the investigation of fear and what does it mean and how we deal with it and all of that. So it, keeping with your lead there, Chris, I will give it seven dustings of the guillotine. Oh, mm. excellent. Because you want to make sure it's nice and clean. She's cleaning Before it you create me. any open wounds. <laughs> yes. All right. How about you, Miles? This episode was not just the solve the problem with this technological solution of the week. I mean, there was technology involved, but what really was, it was almost a um, sort of a game of chess or just, you know, it was a battle battle of the wills, battle of the wits. You know, it was, you had to outsmart your opponent here. And so usually Voyager's often criticized for just kind of, just, just thinking inside the box. This this is one of the few episodes that really did something outside the box, which they they, they commended for. It explored something we all all of us struggle with in some some form or other is is fear and do we let 
do we let fear, unhealthy fear, um, cripple us or prevent us from, you know, achieving or, or um, taking risks that could possibly benefit us? So I'll give this I'll give this episode uh, four out of five dancing singing clowns. <laughs> Very good. Well, as I said up front, I've come to really like this episode over the years. I didn't like it so much at the beginning, but it's I still think it's unique within Star Trek in general. And I, I like it when they do something like that that's different. And I I can just watch it just for Michael McKeon alone for the yes. performance because I think it's... Yes. I'll give you that for sure. It's yep. so good. Uh, so if, if, if you skip this episode every time you do a rewatch because you remember it from the first time it came on, you didn't, didn't really like it, go back and watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. So I'm going to give it 19 years of crazy clown action. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Just might kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, guys. Before we go, tell everyone where they can find you. Megan, where can people find you and tell us about the podcast that you do there with Alice? Yeah, so Alice and I do a regular podcast called Educating Geeks, and uh, we are all about bringing new people into our favorite fandoms. So every week we bring someone onto the podcast who hasn't experienced some of one of our favorite aspects of geek culture. Um, So you can find us online at educatinggeeks.com, and we're at Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Google+. If you just search for Educating Geeks, you'll find us at all of those places. Excellent. And next season, you're going to have me on to talk about ALF, right? Oh. Let's put on the list <laughs> right noted. now. Yeah. Duly noted. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come in my, my Willie Tanner cosplay. That sounds great. Fantastic. Yeah. You can have Char on too. She'll be Raquel. <laughs> I want to go on for the Bosom Buddies episode myself. <laughs> right. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, Miles, tell everyone where they can find you and tell us a bit about your show. Yeah, uh, I co-host uh, the Sci-Fi Diner podcast with my friend Scott and uh, M. Uh, we've been doing it for about five years now. We cover not just Star Trek, but lots of things in sci-fi uh, from genre TV shows, movies, some books. Uh, we just were at a, a con this weekend. Um, ladies, be jealous. I got to hang out and talk with uh, Robert Picardo today. So. Mm. Oh, Fantastic. Oh, I am jealous. A little bit. Uh, he, he, was, he was awesome. And we, we got a chance to uh, do, do an interview with him today. So we'll be posting that in not not too distant future. Awesome. You can check us out at the sci-fi diner podcast.com. Uh, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, sci-fi diner podcast on Facebook. Uh, that's where you can find us. When is sci-fi diner going to become an actual place where we can stop off? You know, <laughs> I picture it on a dusty road that somewhere. That sounds awesome. Yeah, in the desert. With the you know, the girls here live in Arizona. I think that would be a great place for the sci-fi. <laughs> yes. Now, we're trying to work something out with uh, MGM Studios. They already have uh, a, a sci-fi diner over there. Uh, oh, yeah. all right. Darn it. Oh, Motion Picture Studios throwing a wrench in your yes. plans. They're a, little, they're, they're, a little, they're a little too powerful to fight. A little bit. All right. Well, thanks again. Miles, and then Char, tell everyone where they can find you and, of course, all your Voyager talk. Yeah, 
I talk Voyager every week with my co-host Tristan Rodell on To the Journey. To the Journey! Thank you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> New episodes drop every Thursday. We discuss all aspects of Voyager, so if you enjoyed this episode, give us a try if you haven't already. You can also find me on Twitter, and my handle is OhTheProfanity. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> she controls herself I like it. on the show. You go listen to her on Jenny Zell's show, Mouthy Broadcast. <laughs> you get to know the real me there. <laughs> it's fun. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us today, guys and gals. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for Thank letting the guess. estrogen shake over. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Well, Alice, I am glad that Megan Shar and Miles could join us today. I'm glad Miles was here because I really was feeling outnumbered. <laughs> you were, you, but, but even with him, you guys were a little outnumbered. You, you we had three bit. lovely ladies on the on the podcast <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit outnumbered, but it was great. And I'm glad that you could all be here. It was a big ready room. We rarely have five people on, but we needed five for this one. But as much fun as it was talking about Michael McKeon and the Thaw, it isn't the only thing we've been discussing here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Oh, I'm just going to say this up front. I don't know if it's Koenig or Koenig. I've heard both. I'm going to mm-hmm. go with Koenig, but if I'm wrong... Just pretend I said Koenig the whole time. And I'll go with Koenig. All right. And then, so our base is covered. So we'll both, okay. yes. Right. One of us will be right. Earl Grey. They're like, we're supposed Second to be decommissioned. And Kirk's like, second start of the right. <laughs> and then, like, what happens after that moment? They're like, they just start like, five minutes later, it's like, well. <laughs> I guess we do I guess have to go turn back. around. <laughs> <laughs> to the journey. To the journey is community. And that's what you find with Star Trek. And that's why we do what we do. And that's why we love it when you guys write us find us on Twitter and that's why we're all friends on Trek.fm is because we have this sense of community and that's what it brings. It's not just about a show, it's about each other. Warp 5. Mm-hmm. Archer's way is the right way. He mm-hmm. brings the light. Mm-hmm. She walks into the light to talk to Archer because then she's enlightened because he is an enlightened man. Mm-hmm. She walks back into the darkness and retreats back into her world to pick up the slates and go teach the mm-hmm. kids about the humans and the Skagarans and all that kind of stuff. Commentary. Trek stars. I think it would be fun in order for in order to prove my point would be like to us have us play a game of Monopoly and also two players entirely determined by randomness. Two fictional players would be Mike, Max, Blue, and Green. Continuing mission. When we made the audio drama, it was a fairly straightforward transition. Let's call the ship the Excelsior. Let's make it the fourth one to bear the name. Let's put it in the Delta Quadrant. But uh, now that we're there, um, I'm really happy with a lot of those things. Melodic Treks. Second marriage took place in August the 6th, 1963 to Camille J. Williams, a Las Vegas dancer, and they had two children. And yes, I know, he divorced and married in the same year. I ain't gonna go anywhere near that. You draw your own conclusions. Literary Treks. I think I posited the idea that Wall was kidnapped, and Margaret just said in her Margaret E. way, she just said, Moriarty. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find them everywhere you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to, and you'll find us there. And if you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, don't forget to review our shows. This is the final week of our reviews promotion. 
Just for leaving a review of the show, you can get your name in the drawing for some great Star Trek prizes, which include a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, some Star Trek novels of your choice, some official Starship collection ships from Japan with the magazine in Japanese. It's a nice collectible. Cool. And also a complete set of our original Alien artwork badges. Plus, if you're a fan of Axanar, if you review the Axanar podcast, the official Axanar podcast, which I co-host with Alec Peters, you can get a beautiful set of embroidered patches, which were done for the film. And there are three of them. Alec is donating those. And to be in the running for that, you just need to review the official Star Trek Axanar podcast. And entering is very easy. There are two steps. First is, of course, to leave the reviews on iTunes and or Stitcher. And the second is to go to trek.fm slash review and submit the form that you find there. That will let us know who you are which shows you reviewed, where you left the reviews, and we can get in touch with you to thank you and let you know if you won. And remember, you can review all of our shows and you can review the master feed, that also counts, and you can review them on iTunes and Stitcher, and every review will get you an entry. So if you review 17 shows on iTunes, that's 17 entries. So be sure to leave us reviews, and please leave different reviews. Leave reviews that are specific to the shows, uh, not the same review, on every single show because that actually could be flagged by iTunes as being sort of unusual activity that there are 17 identical reviews being left (laughs) for all the same shows. I know that's not your intention, but just a little flag there. Be sure to leave reviews that are unique to the shows. Speaking of reviews, Alice, we've gotten quite a few in as we've been doing our promotion here. Nice. And I want to read a couple of them today. And the first one is from D Nitro G who left us five stars and said, truly fun to listen to. This podcast is truly fun to listen to as it's constantly changing hosts and topics. It never becomes mundane and is informative as a whole. For those who want an overall experience with Star Trek, this is one of the best podcasts to listen to. I highly recommend it. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Thank you. And Alice, you're part of this ever-changing, constantly changing group of hosts that we have on here. Also, Deuce 452 in Canada. This is our friend Jamie, left us five stars and said, The Ready Room? What are we ready for a six-star review? So I have a major problem. iTunes only allows a maximum of five stars. This podcast deserves at least a rating of Warp 9.998. Wow, nice. Well, I appreciate that, Jamie. I'm glad that you did not give us a rating of Warp 10, though, because I already have children and I'm not ready to raise any lizard babies. So thank you for keeping us below that threshold. (laughs) (laughs) So again, thank you, Jamie and D-Nitro, for those reviews and for everyone else. We're looking forward to hearing from you as well. And don't forget, after you leave reviews, to go to trek.fm slash review to officially enter the drawing. Now, if you would like to leave feedback on today's show, there are many ways that you can do that. You can find us on Twitter. Our username is trek.fm, facebook.com slash trek.fm. We have a community on G+. We have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can leave us a voicemail from the show page, look in the left sidebar, or just go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. And I'd love for you to leave us a voicemail. We'd love to play some of those on the show. And also, we have a contact form, trek.fm slash contact, and that comes to me by email. Now, Alice, when you're not uh, running around with your streamer and uh, dancing with a crazy clown, 
Where can people find you? Well, I am one of the co-hosts on a twice every other Friday podcast called Educating Geeks. Um, Megan, as you mentioned earlier, is also one of the co-hosts for that podcast. And we basically uh, mix it up and cover a different fandom uh, pretty much every show. And what we do is to try and bring somebody who has never experienced that fandom before into the fold and introduce them to it. It's a lot of fun. We hope we can have you on sometime, Chris. Oh, I'd love to come on sometime. Yeah, I, I do have interests beyond Star Trek in the geek realm, <laughs> which may surprise a lot of people. But yeah. I have all these ideas all the time of like podcasts I want to do about other topics besides Star Trek, but there's not enough time. So <laughs> maybe one of these days I'll get around to doing some of them. So yeah, Perfect. I would love to join you sometime. Great. And you're on Twitter as well. Well, I know you're on Twitter because that's where you were tweeting your racy tweets about Janeway and the Clown. <laughs> That's right. We are on all the social networks, or at least the big ones where we have a Twitter feed. We're on uh, Google Plus, Tumblr, and of course, uh, Facebook. And you can basically just search Educating Geeks and you will find us. And you should also visit EducatingGeeks.com because we do do other content in addition to the podcast. Definitely. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Well, if you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. So feel free to hit me up there. And I have my website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I do a lot of different shows. There's The Orb, Warp 5, Literary Treks, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, our daily news show, Hyper Channel. And also, as I mentioned earlier, the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar, which I co-host with Alec Peters. So check out all of these shows if you want to find out what else I'm talking about in the world of Star Trek. Before we let you go, we would like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and get that free audiobook. Pick up Pathways by Jerry Taylor, read by Robert Picardo, or anything else you like. Absolutely free. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that book. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. And if you're getting them from another source right now, Audible really is the best place to get them. So give it a try, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. All right, Alice. Well, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to wander down and help Tom learn how to play the drums. Because even though I know oboe players aren't impressed by that, he's convinced they are. And hey, I, I guess I can help him out. All right, well, it's time to stick a feather duster in it, because the ready room is done. I see Mares has joined us today. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Mango has to make his presence Hi, known. Oh, he's breathing oh, we, we should do cat cast where like everyone yeah, on the network should. has cats. Yeah. They do a show together and the cats are part of the show. Oh, Teddy was demanding to be on the pat the podcast earlier. You're probably gonna have to cut out or like silence that, Chris, just to forewarn you. <laughs>